The reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of, uh, of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Well, friends, I want to begin this morning by getting you to think about decisions. Decisions, decisions, decisions. You make thousands of them every day. Most of them are so small that you don't even think about them. But some, some decisions are big. Some of them are hard. Some are so hard that if you're anything like me, you actually put off making a decision for as long as possible. You just don't make a decision. And sometimes we even do that when the decision is going to have a good outcome. You see, I delayed proposing to Janice for two whole months for no other reason than I was scared to make the decision. It was silly. I, I knew I loved her. I knew she loved me. I had no doubt whatsoever that she would say yes. I had the ring. I bought it. It was in my pocket. But for some reason, I was still too scared to make the decision. But there are some decisions where you can't do that. There are some decisions where not making a decision is making a decision. Where not actively choosing one option is to, by default, choose the other option. A great example of this, I think, uh, particularly applies to the gentleman in the room, is when your wife or your girlfriend uh, gets dressed, puts on an outfit to head out for an evening, and then turns to you and asks, does this look okay? Because, brothers, there is no delaying that decision. Either you choose option A, which is, of course, to say very quickly and very convincingly, honey, you look amazing, or you choose option B. 
And option B is the default option. It actually doesn't matter what words you use. You could say, um, you might say, mm. you could say, I'm not sure, or you could say absolutely nothing at all, and all of them have the exact same effect. Which is, of course, to completely ruin whatever plans you had for the evening. When a woman asks you, do I look okay, not saying yes is the same as saying no. Not making a decision is making the worst decision of all. And there's lots of other examples like this, aren't there? Times where not making a decision is making a decision and sometimes a terrible decision. Not, not choosing to eat healthy is to, by default, choose to eat unhealthily. The decision to change jobs, the decision to try out for another baby, not actively choosing to say yes is an automatic decision to say no. Well, friends, this morning we're coming to a, uh, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John, and we're still in what is often called the prologue of John's Gospel. It, it's John's introduction to the book, because before we read about any of the events of Jesus' life, John wants to tell us how we should read this book. And specifically, he wants us to know that Jesus, who we're about to meet, is unlike any other man that we've ever met. Now, we saw this last week. John began by showing us that Jesus was not just a man, not just a priest, not just a prophet. He was not just the founder of a new religious movement. Now, he was in one sense all of those things, but first and foremost, John wants us to see that Jesus is God. John calls him the divine word, the power of God at work in this world. He says he is the one who was in the beginning, the one who made all things, the one who is the very reason, the very logic, the very meaning of creation. John tells us that the reason that the sun rises in the morning and the reason that the waves crash on the seashore and the reason that you and I are even here breathing in this room this morning is because he made it that way. Now, it's fascinating. John has such a high view of Jesus, but John doesn't just want you to be fascinated. He doesn't just want you to be interested. You see, John isn't saying all this stuff about Jesus so that you might know things about Jesus. He's not interested in filling your heads with facts so that you might win the next church trivia night. No, G John wants you to know these things about Jesus so that you might make a decision. A big decision. A life-changing decision. A decision with the most significant consequences imaginable. But friends, the thing you need to see about this decision this morning is that not making a decision is making a decision. Because either you will receive Jesus, believe in Jesus, find your reason for being in Jesus, or you will do something else. And it doesn't really matter what you do. You might say, um, you might say, hmm, you might say, I'm not sure, or you might say nothing at all. And all of them have the exact same effect which is, of course, to continue living without Jesus. And as we're about to see, living without Jesus is living in darkness. 
And so friends, this morning I want to share with you three things from this passage. First of all, the light that Jesus gives. Secondly, the darkness we all choose. Third, the life we can receive. So we begin with the light Jesus gives. And as we saw already last week, John considers Jesus to be light. Later on in the gospel, Jesus himself will say, I am the light of the world. But right here in the introduction, John says in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In verses 6 to 8, John tells us of another John, not himself, John the Baptist, who came to bear witness to the light. And he says, John was not the light, he came to tell other people about the light. Because in verse 9, the true light, the light that gives light to everyone, was about to enter the world. Now, throughout the whole Bible, there's a very close connection between God and light. Light is the very first thing that God creates in Genesis. When God seeks to... uh, out of himself create the very first thing that comes out when you squeeze God what comes out light when people experience God throughout the old testament when they see God or where they see one of his messengers an angel what do they see they see light and here John says that Jesus is this light of all mankind now we get a good sense of what John is getting at here when we simply think about what light does What does light do? Well, it it reveals things, doesn't it? It shows us what is there. You walk into a dark room, you can see little shadows maybe, but you flick on a light switch and boom, you see in great detail. It reveals things. It reveals reality. But not only that, light also guides us. From those little reflectors on the side of the highway to the light of a headlamp in a dark cave To a lighthouse on a rocky headland, light shows us the way. But there's more to light than just that, isn't it? Light makes us happy. It's good for us. We actually need light to live. Ask anyone who's endured a European winter and they will tell you darkness is depressing. It's devastating. We need light because light is essential to life. Well, here John is making the astounding claim that Jesus is the light for all people. That is to say, Jesus is the source of all knowledge and wisdom and goodness and life for everyone. Everything that we know about this world, all science, all understanding, all wisdom on how to live well in this world, all these things we know, says John, Because the divine word reveals them to us. Jesus is the light for all mankind. He's also claiming that every bit of goodness that is in us comes to us from this divine word. Now, if you've spent any time in this church, you will know that we we talk about sin a lot. We, We hold to the fact that everyone, every man, every woman, every child is sinful. We believe in total depravity, that every part of every person is affected by sin. But often what you find is people actually misinterpret that to say that there is no goodness in people. And that's not true. 
The Bible is very clear on this. Total depravity does not mean that every human is as wicked as they could be. You could be worse, couldn't you? No, the Bible says there is good in us. There is good in all people. There's certainly wickedness in all people, but in every human there is some goodness that is there because the true light, the divine word, shines in and on all people. And so John is saying that every act of love, every bit of generosity, every kind deed you see your non-Christian neighbours doing, every pursuit of justice and equality in this world, even though they may often be misguided, the heart of them, the intention, the goodness behind them is there because the divine word has shone his light in us. Everything we are, everything that we have, every breath we take, every beat of our heart, every life that comes into this world is a gift from the one who is the light that shines on all mankind. And so here's, here's the point that John is making. Because all wisdom and knowledge and goodness and life comes from God, all wisdom and knowledge and goodness and life, to some extent, shows us God. The whole creation has God's fingerprints in it, on it. When we look around... When you stop and marvel at a gorgeous sunset, when you look through a telescope and see the night sky in detail, you see pictures of what God is like. Paul picks up this idea in Romans 1 when he says that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. He says God's invisible qualities are made visible in creation. By the light that God shines on all mankind, we can know what God is like. But as Paul continues in Romans 1, and as John is about to show us in verse 10 of John chapter 1, all of us have a tendency to turn away from the light. In verse 10, John continues... He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. John's saying, even though the world was created through and for God, even though reality itself is shaped by him, even though humanity exists in his light, we failed to see the light. And in fact, it's worse than that. We've chosen not to see the light. We've chosen darkness. This is the great tragedy of the Bible. It's what the Bible calls sin. Because, friends, sin is not just breaking rules, not doing things that God says you should do. It is that, but it's not just that. You see, at its heart, sin is failing to acknowledge God. That's how John defines sin in verse 10. He says, the world did not recognize him. Now, it's not talking about what happens when you walk down the street and you see the guy that you went to school with and you forget his name. It's not that. John's saying we've failed to acknowledge God for who he is. 
the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who rules the world, the source of all wisdom and knowledge and goodness and life. Greatness has appeared to us and we've failed to acknowledge it. Now, now we know a sense of the, the disrespect and the dishonor that that is. Uh, you know, you know if, if the queen were to come and you were to fail to stand or curtsy or bow or whatever it is that you're supposed to do for the queen, you know that would be an expression of dishonor, disrespect. You know when you, you've been at a concert and you know, the band's playing and then there's a standing ovation at the end and then there's a, the guy that refuses to stand. He, he's making a point. He's like, it wasn't that good. We know when, when we see greatness and we fail to acknowledge it, we're, we're disrespecting it, we're dishonoring it. We, we know that that is wrong to fail to acknowledge greatness. And here John says, that's what we've all done with God. The world did not acknowledge him. The world did not recognize him. The world has chosen to reject him, to live in darkness. The whole world has chosen to shut itself off from the light, the source of all wisdom and goodness and life. Friends, it's a disastrous predicament. And if you're here this morning and these things are new to you, if you're here and you're trying to find out what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, this is where you need to start. You need to see that you, like everyone else, are hopelessly lost because you have failed to acknowledge the God who made you, who provides for you, who sustains you, who loves you, and who longs for you to enjoy life with him forever. You need to understand that you have chosen to ignore the light. You've chosen to live in darkness. and You need to begin by understanding the problem of sin. But friends, hear me, you mustn't stay there. Knowing that you are lost is essential, but knowing that you are lost in darkness, well, that's bad news, but the message of Jesus is good news. And the good news comes in the very next verse where John tells us what God did in response to our rejection of him. Do you see what he did? Take a look at the very first words of verse 11. He came. He came into that which was his own. In verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The one who has already been ignored and rejected by humanity since the very beginning didn't abandon the world. He came into the world. We had turned away from him. We had shut out the light. And so he came to us. The eternal divine word became flesh. God became man. The infinite one made himself finite. The glorious one made himself inglorious. The light entered the darkness. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word that John uses here literally means he, he pitched his tent among us, but he's not talking about going on a long weekend camping trip. John's alerting his readers or reminding his readers of, of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the tent where God dwelt with the Old Testament people as they wandered through the desert for 40 years. 
In the wilderness, God pitched his tent with his people. He committed to them. He went with them where they went. Even though they were stubborn and rebellious and they kept rejecting God, God went with them. And now God has committed himself to us who have tried to shut out the light, who have chosen darkness. He has come and he has pitched his tent with us. God himself came to be with us. The source of light and life came to you. The one who gives us everything now gives us himself. And by giving us himself, he also gives us the most precious gift in the world. I love this bit. Have a look with me from verse 11. It says, he came. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, yet, yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You've got to see how precious this is. All God has ever done for you is give. The fact that you exist is because God gave you life. The fact that you have a house to live in is because God gave it to you. The fact that you have a family that loves you is because God gave it to you. He gave you life. He gave you a world. He gave you light. But when the God of light and life became flesh and stepped down into that which was his own, this world that he made, he gave you something more. He has already given you grace, but he gave grace on top of grace because he gave to you the right to become his child. And you've got to see, he didn't, he didn't give you the right to become his follower or his acquaintance, or even his friend. No, he gave you the right to become his child. Do you see how huge that is? The God of the universe says to you, son, daughter. That's huge. Now, don't misunderstand it, because in one sense, everyone is a child of God, and we use that language rightly. If God is the source of all life, which he is, and if every human is created in his image, which they are, then everyone's a child of God. But that's not what John is saying here. And the difference is is remarkable. Ask anyone who's grown up with only one parent around and they will tell you that there is a huge difference between having a biological father and having a dad. And there is a huge difference between knowing someone has the same parents as you and having a brother or a sister. Well, friends, between being a human being with God, uh, sorry, the difference between being a human that God created and being a child of God, well, that is all the difference in the world. Only a child of God can approach the living God as father. Only a child of God can know that their sin has been completely dealt with. Only a child of God can pray and know that their prayers are answered. Friends, only a child of God can live in a world that is lost and confused and fearful and decaying and have joy and confidence 
and security. Only a child of God can face certain, sorry, can feel certain and hopeful about the future. No one else can have these things. Everyone else can long for them, they can look for them, they can try and find them in all sorts of things, but only a child of God has them. Only a child of God has seen the light. It's amazing. It's incredible. There is no greater honor in the world. And I hope you never underestimate just how precious this gift is that you can be called a child of God. It's the greatest honor in the world. Friends, you could be ducks of your school. You could be an Olympic gold medalist. You could be a Nobel laureate. You could be knighted by the queen herself and none of it would even come close to being called a child of God. But what we need to see this morning, friends, is how you become one. Because no one is born a child of God. You're not born by natural descent. You're not born by a husband's will. Everyone is born into darkness that way. Now, verse 12 says you have to become children of God. No one starts off that way. You don't become one by being born into the right family. It's not decided by who your parents are or where they are from. It's not even something that you choose for yourself. You can't become a child of God by going to church. You can't become a child of God by doing any sort of religious duty. You can't do it by being good. You can't choose it for yourself. There is only one way to become a child of God. And John tells us very clearly in verse 12. To whom did Jesus give the right to become children of God? Not to the good, not to the religious, not to the rich. To all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name. To those who received, to those who believed. They're the same thing. How do you receive Jesus? You believe. How do you believe in Jesus? You receive him. Notice John doesn't say those who believed about Jesus. There's no exam at the gates of heaven. It's not a matter of knowing about him. We need to believe in him. Which means entrusting ourselves to him. Giving our whole lives to him. You notice you do that in relationships. When a a husband and wife get married... They entrust themselves to the other. They are giving themselves, and it requires trust to be vulnerable with another person, to give everything that you have and everything that you are to another. It requires the greatest trust, and that's what it means to believe in Jesus, to trust him so much that you would give him not just your body, not just your money, everything that you are, to give him everything. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. You might know facts about him. You'll do diddly squat unless you will trust him. You need to receive him. You need to go to him with empty hands, knowing that you have absolutely nothing to give, that all you can do is receive. Nothing that you can point to in your life that would make him go, oh, wow, you're pretty good. Yeah, you can be in my family. Nothing. 
You go to him with empty hands and receive. Well, friends, at the start I said that John writes all this, not just that you would know about Jesus, but that you might make a decision about him. And so, friends, it's decision time. And this is a decision that you can't delay. Unless you're all in, then you're out. Not making a decision is to make a decision. And so unless you receive Jesus, unless you believe in his name and take hold of what he gives you, the right to become children of God, well, then you are still in darkness. And so, friends, if you're here this morning and that's you, Please receive Jesus today. Do it today. Come grab me after the service and I will pray with you. I give you permission to interrupt any conversation that I'm having. Because this is important. You can't delay this any longer. But friends, if you're here and you're someone who has received Jesus, to those of you who are children of God, first of all, don't ever forget how incredible that is. Oh my goodness, there is no greater gift you could ever receive. Rejoice today that you can be called a child of God. But friends, also know this. It is entirely possible to receive Jesus without receiving the real Jesus. It is entirely possible to think you are in the light when really you're just hanging out in the shadows. And what I mean by that is it's entirely possible to know that Jesus is the light of the world, to know that he is the source of all wisdom and knowledge and goodness and life, to receive him, to believe in him, and yet to hold back, to not actually entrust yourself to him, and instead to to hold on to the darkness to continue to push him aside in in certain aspects of your life. You can know that in your head Jesus is God and that you need him. You can know in your head that Jesus is worth your attention and yet live as if he is not. And so friends, the thing you need to hear is that this is a decision for every day. This is a decision for every moment, a decision for every aspect of your life. Every day is another day to choose to receive Jesus, to choose to acknowledge his greatness, to choose to give him everything. Friends, you see, it's it's the difference between, you know, a husband or a wife not being fully open not being fully honest with their spouse. You know, you can be married and yet you're, you're hiding things. Are you doing that with Jesus? Or have you entrusted yourself to him completely? Is every part of every day his? Friends, every day is a decision to give everything to him. And so how are we going to do that? How is it that we're going to give ourselves to Jesus every day? Well, why don't we discuss that over morning tea? Grab someone over morning tea today and have a conversation. How can you and how can you help each other 
to choose to give everything to him every day. How about I pray? Lord God, what a, what a joy, what a gift. How incredible that you entered the world. The light for all mankind, the one who gives us all wisdom and knowledge and goodness and life, that you entered the world. And even though we rejected you, even though we refuse to acknowledge your greatness, that you died for us, that you paid the penalty for our sin on our behalf, and that you gave to us the right to become your children. What an incredibly precious gift this is, and I pray that you'd, never help, you'd help us to never lose sight of how good it is that we can come to you as Father, that we can talk to you now and know that you hear us. But Lord, I pray that you would help us choose every day to receive Jesus, to believe in him, to entrust ourselves to him. Lord, I pray for anyone here who, is not, who has not done that yet, who has not received Jesus. Lord, would you make yourself clear to them? Would you show them the riches of your grace? Would you show them the depths of their sin? Would you show them the life that you are offering and may they receive you today. And friends, for those of uh, Jesus, for those of us who have received Jesus, for those of us who have believed in your name, would you help us to continue each day to choose him? May there be no part of our life which we do not surrender to him, which we do not give to him, which we do not offer in worship of the word who became flesh for us. Lord, work in us by your spirit that we may walk with you each and every day. For our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen.